Our second lesson for today will be coming out of Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 36. Listen for the word of the Lord. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received the Father from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both may be able to see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. So our text this morning, we are joining Peter during a sermon that took place after the coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter, before our text that we have today, was discussing with the crowd, the Israelites, how, how God has appointed Jesus as the Messiah. And Peter has done something so kindly to these people. He, he reminded them that um, this is the same Jesus that they told the Romans to crucify. So today we are joining a conversation that's probably pretty tense. A conversation that's probably leaving a lot of people angry and a lot of people asking a lot of questions. But Peter changes the mood of the conversation by saying one strange statement. The statement of saying, my fellow Israelites, speaking to the crowd, relating to them one-on-one, speaking of their heritage. I may say to you with some confidence that uh, our ancestor, King David, yeah, uh, he's dead. And uh, we know that he is buried because we can go to his tomb today and go look at it. So I imagine the people in the crowd being a little bit confused and thinking, well, uh, yeah, Peter, we uh, know King David's dead. He's been dead for almost a thousand years. So uh, what, are you, what are you trying to do here? And I imagine that's a fantastic question. What is Peter doing here? What is Peter bringing up David for? I believe that, David, uh, that Peter is speaking of this rhetorically. Because he knows these, are, these people are smart in the crowd. These people know that their ancestor David's been dead, not just for like since yesterday, but you know, been dead for almost a thousand years, right? These people are smart. They don't only know that David's been dead, but they know a lot about their heritage. These people have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. This is what was happening before. Pentecost is a time where they come to Jerusalem for a feast, which marks the important wheat harvest for the land of Israel, mentioned in Exodus. So we can guess that these Jews are very devout. 
These Jews are people who know their scriptures, their traditions, their heritage, enough that they will travel miles upon miles to come and celebrate a festival. And this is probably why Peter is bringing up David in the first place. David is a familiar character to them, a character that's familiar to even us. We know David from our Bible, the story of David and how David is so ingrained into the culture of Israel. But we don't quite understand how ingrained David actually was and is still to this day. Because not all of us grew up Orthodox Jew or have Jewish parents or those kind of things. We, we, most of us, would be considered as Gentiles. But for the Jews, David started something. He started this kingdom. He started a kingdom that was going to, that flourished, and he was a center of a religion. David, as we see in the scriptures, is a person that is basically the golden poster child for the Israelites. This man in the Bible and tradition is depicted as this great warrior. You know, he's not just this rugged warrior kind of guy. He's also a guy that, he's got a sensitive side too. He's a poet. He writes poetry. He's a musician. He's a well-rounded fella, you know? You're all-American kind of boy. But one of the things that we know him most by is by his title that has been given to him as the man after God's own heart. So David's not only this great warrior that's been battle-tested by defeating Goliath, he's not also this well-renowned musician, poet, civil and justice-giving king, but he's also this religious person. So David is this very idolized person to the Israelites. And we know this, though. If you read all of David's story, we know that David's not perfect. David's not perfect because he's a human being, for one. But we can also see in this story things like the actions with Bathsheba and how he sent her husband, Uriah, to the front line so that he may be killed and that he could have Bathsheba for his own. Now, that's not what Peter brings up here. Peter doesn't bring that up. Peter brings up that David is dead. So that's a little bit... It's interesting. That's a, that's a starting point for this conversation. But I think Peter does this because he is showing the Israelites something. He's showing them that they know that, Pete, that David may be dead, but they don't necessarily act that way. And now what I mean by that is that David may be dead, but the idea of David is not. That they see, in the, Peter tells them through the scriptures, that he's speaking to them that, David's rule and uh, would be continued through the Messiah, and that would be through the line of David. Peter proves this by using David's own words. Since David was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him, and that he would put one of his sins on the throne. And David, being a prophet again, foresaw this being and saying that the Messiah would be resurrected, and uses a scripture from a Psalm uh, 110. He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. Peter is showing that David himself is proclaiming the coming of the Messiah and the promise that God will continue the line on the throne. Peter also tells the crowd that this descendant is Jesus, which God has raised up and is the Messiah of which will continue this line of David. And we all have witnessed this resurrection, he tells the crowd. This Jesus, whom has ascended into heaven, 
and is at the right hand of God. Which is an interesting placement for Jesus because the right hand of God in the Old Testament was a place for the kings of Israel. Now, that right hand of God is a place of honor and authority. The highest dwelling place for any human being to be. Israelites during the time of David, about a thousand years ago prior to the sermon Peter was giving, was run by this um, idea of theodicy. What a theodicy is, is that God was in charge of making the decisions for the kingdom. Now, since the king was at the right hand of God, the king was also given the authority to proclaim the intentions of God for the kingdom of Israel. Now, Peter tells us at this point that Jesus is at the right hand of God, not David. And we know this because Jesus was raised from the dead, unlike David. And that Jesus has ascended into heaven to be placed at the throne. Unlike David, whose tomb we can go and see to this day. Now, Peter's comment at the beginning of the passage is seeming to make more and more sense. Peter has shown the crowd yet again that David is stating the Messiah is at the right hand of God. And that the Messiah is this Jesus whom they have crucified. And we've been given the Holy Spirit at this point now so that we may be able to hear and see these truths placed before us. Peter wants to know at this point, um, what else do they need to see that Jesus is the true Messiah? And we all might be wondering a very similar thought because we're like, oh, if we look at all these things, of course Jesus is the true Messiah, the one that God has appointed But we are also viewing this conversation from the outside. I think we do very similar things still to this day. Just as the Jews had their idea for who the Messiah was going to be, a warrior, someone that would push the Romans out of their land that God has promised to them, the Israelites still acted as if David was alive because David represents everything that the Israelites wanted in their future Messiah. But we look at the life of Jesus in our scriptures, and that's not the Messiah that we see. Jesus' message goes beyond what David has done or, or what David will ever do. As the Israelites wanted to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, Jesus is here to reestablish the kingdom of God. And just as the Israelites looked for a David-like character, we today look for a Messiah that often doesn't look like the Jesus portrayed in the Bible. You know what we like? We like the American Jesus. We like the Jesus where if we believe in God and we follow Jesus in our own little bubbles, that we will have peace and prosperity in our lives. We will feel good, be comfortable, and everything will be okay. Now, I say to you that wanting those things is not a bad thing. I think we all want to have peace and prosperity for, in our lives and also in our children's lives, our descendants' lives, grandkids, the whole gambit. We want that, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a poor wish. Nor do I think the Israelites' wish to be freed from the Romans' rule was bad either. I think that's a very warranted thing to want. 
the Israelites were an oppressed people. They wanted to be no longer oppressed, and they were looking for someone to free them. They knew that the Messiah was coming because their scriptures had told them so. Yet, when Jesus came, they were amazed by his powers and his ability to heal, cast out demons. The winds and the waves obeyed him. He had a lot of power. But when Jesus did eventually tell them that he was the Messiah, their response was to crucify him. Now, when I read that, I, the question is why? Why is that? Well, Jesus didn't quite fit a mold that the Israelites wanted. Jesus didn't do the things that they thought Jesus should have done. Jesus also broke some rules. Jesus was a rule breaker. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to walk so many feet on the Sabbath. Jesus also ate with the outcasts. Jesus did not act like a pious king. Or at least the king they thought was to be the Messiah. They desperately wanted to be freed from the Romans. They desperately wanted a David. And they had a picture in their mind of what God's plan would look like for them because of the way they interpreted Scripture. And when the Messiah came in front of them, they missed it. They missed God being right in front of them. I don't blame them for that. Often we have our own desires and our own wants that blind us from the bigger picture that God has placed in front of us. Our desires and our wants that we have, again, aren't bad. But sometimes they narrow our vision of what God's plan is. They blind us to the larger picture. And again, hear me say, our desires are not bad. I do want to find the Israelites, the, I do understand that they desire to be free. And I don't find that, that any blame with them in there. I think they wanted justice for themselves, for their community, for their future. They wanted those things. Today, we have very similar things going on. That we, we are pushing for noble acts that align with Scripture. But we, like the Israelites, can be so enveloped in our own plans, perspectives, and preconceived notions of God that when God is present in our midst, we miss it. We miss God, and we miss Jesus, and inherently what they are trying to tell us. Because I know I forget that God and Jesus' plan surpasses my own understanding or anyone else's understanding ever. So, I stand today before you as Peter is standing in front of the crowd, asking what do we need to see that Jesus is the real Messiah? Peter shows the Israelites, again, that their idol, David, is proclaiming this Jesus. That we have all witnessed the resurrection and have been given the Holy Spirit so that they will be able to see and hear that Jesus is the Messiah. Not the Messiah, which is like David, who has died, but the Messiah that brought the kingdom of God and dwells in heaven 
with God reigning forever. For the Israelites had their own preconceived notion of what they thought the Messiah to be. And that got in the way of seeing the real Messiah. Jesus, the incarnation of God. I ask all of us to look at ourselves and see what is in, what is in our way. Is it our preconceived notions of God's plan or what we think God's plan should be? And if we move that notion and trust in God's plan and God's will, what will we see in front of us? What is standing between us and seeing God incarnate in our presence? Now, I want to be honest with you this morning. I want to end with you today acknowledging that Jesus did not bring liberation to a hurting people. And that's tough. It's a message that's very difficult to preach on because the longer I sat with this text, I saw another marginalized group not finding justice. And that's a narrative which we hear way too often. But what Jesus did bring was something greater. The kingdom of God. The kingdom that will not perish away like the kingdom of Israel. Like a king like David. Jesus brings us a kingdom that's eternal. This kingdom that Jesus brings us is a place where the poor are blessed. The hungry are satisfied. And those who are weeping now will laugh with joy. This kingdom which David, which Jesus brings to us, lets us move ourselves and our plans out of the way so that we may be able to join Jesus in this kingdom. Let us pray. Lord, our God, who is the creator of all good things, give us clarity and strength so that we may be able to have hope and be able to follow you into the kingdom of God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the true and eternal Messiah. Amen.